Hey everybody, welcome to Crunch Time Podcast. You're here with your hosts, Lincoln Waters. And Isaac Lee. Thank you for checking us out and we hope you enjoy it. Frank, thank you um, for taking time out of your day and joining this podcast. For all you viewers, I would like to just give you a little rundown of Frank McKinney. He is the six-time best-selling author. He is a real estate artist and he sells multi-million dollar beachfront houses in Florida. Um, Frank, you came out with a new book, The Tap. Is that your newest book? Actually, my newest book, well, first of all, I'm, I'm honored to be on this, on this call with you guys because I, I think it goes back a few years ago to when I met you at a church I spoke at. That was in Ohio, uh, Ohio, I believe, yes, right? correct. correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, anyway, so, uh, and that was, that was a really special occasion for me to be able to speak from the pulpit. I'm, I'm not, obviously, a, I'm not a priest. At least I'm not dressed like one today. <laughs> And uh, that, that was just real special to be able to spend time with you, Isaac, and now to meet you, Lincoln. I think what you guys are doing with Crunch Time is fantastic. Um, but to answer your question, I've, yes, I, as you said, Lincoln, I've written six books in five different genres, but it's a modern day version of, of what I think is the most beautiful act of love and forgiveness in the entire Bible when Christ mm -hmm. turns to the other thief and offers that grace and mercy and love, forgiveness and redemption. But anyway, my, that's my newest book, The Tap. Is another spiritual book, um, where, whereas the other thief is Christian romance, because it's a romance story, and uh, the tap is a spiritual book that was also based on a biblical passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter twelve, verse forty-eight. That says, "To whom much is entrusted, much is expected." Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to say that I read your book. I think it's called "Be a Maverick," um, which is what I bought when you came to Lima, and I read through that. Um, and it really kind of changes your mindset on how you would approach um, kind of real estate and maybe look at it in a different way yeah. and take a different route than some people do as approaching it. And uh, I really think your story that I listened to was a, was a huge inspiration um, to me to see how you came up from where you did. And uh, for the viewers, um, would you mind kind of telling your story on where you came from and then kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. It starts with just, you know, being a sinner saved by the grace of God. I left Indiana when I was 18 years old with a one-way plane ticket and a $50 <laughs> bill and a Jeez. duffel bag full of just, you know, the few clothes I had or the few clothes I could fit in a duffel, duffel bag. And I didn't have the benefit of pursuing a formal education. I went to four high schools in four years. And it was wow. because of I was asked to leave one high school after the next. You know, I got kicked out of the first three till I finally finished high school with a 1.8 grade point average and no hope of pursuing a formal education, even at a community college with that kind of GPA. So mm -hmm. I decided to leave Indiana and I came to Florida with that $50 bill. Just imagine a racer for a second. Then you go, you turn around to the chalkboard of life and you get a few opportunities to erase what was. Mm -hmm. and, and that was my chance to really say, you know, put in the past forever behind me the yeah. behavior that was causing me to get kicked out of all these schools and end up in juvenile detention. But when I landed in Florida, I mean, Florida was a land of opportunity. At 18 yeah. years old, my goodness, it was not <laughs> cold, freezing in the, I actually moved here in January. So I left freezing cold and I landed in Florida where I was, you know, in the seventies. And you guys are young, but I'm going to give you two examples of two television programs. One, my age, there was a program called Lifestyles of Rich and Famous which allows you to look into the life of very wealthy people 
a modern version would would have been MTV Cribs, where you guys okay. look right. in and kind of see how the rich and famous live. Yeah, and uh, you know, I got to see for real firsthand that lifestyle in Palm Beach, Florida, coming from a farm in Indiana. Uh, I was instantly intoxicated by that lifestyle, and I don't drink, by the way. I was intoxicated by the lifestyle, and I I. I don't believe in the welfare mentality or the entitlement mentality. I believe in a welfare system. That's fine, mm -hmm. but the mentality is very toxic. And, and so I was proud to have a job digging sand, digging sand traps on a golf course, you know, with a shovel, yep. digging sand Absolutely. traps, uh, yeah. working maintenance. And then I moved, moved from maintenance on the golf course to maintenance on the tennis court. And I was around affluence again. The same people who were playing golf all day were playing tennis in the afternoon. <clears throat> and it would just boggle my mind that they never seemed to work. Yeah. So I got my certification as a teaching professional, a tennis teacher, a tennis pro. And I use that little, you know, let's say this is my, my certificate. I use that as my license out of poverty. Like I, I, I could go yeah. from making four bucks an hour to actually I went from four bucks an hour to making 50 bucks an hour as a tennis pro. Wow. And again, you know, I was teaching people who seem to have a lot of leisure time, right? They were just... <laughs> Taking lessons from me every other day, paying 50 bucks an hour, driving wow. a lesson in a Lamborghini or Ferrari, yeah. had a beautiful house. And, and so I said, I decided, you know, how'd you get here? Like, here's the first lesson is I was very keen on picking the brain of the ultra wealthy. They were on the tennis court paying me to hit a better forehand or backhand or a serve. But at the end of the lesson, I would tire them out on purpose. So they couldn't finish the last 15 minutes. And that's when I earned my PhD in entrepreneurship and really my master's in real estate uh, by picking their brain. The answer I heard guys and viewers was, you know, we were nine to fivers. We were doctors, lawyers, inventors, what have mm -hmm. you. But we took our discretionary income when we had a little money left over after paying bills and taxes. We took that discretionary income and invested it in real estate. Wow. And I heard that over and over again mm -hmm. for two years as a tennis instructor. I was making at that point a hundred grand at 21 wow. teaching tennis. I had a Ferrari and I, you know, I was living the Florida high life, <laughs> but I knew there was a limit to my income. I was making 50 bucks an hour. I still have friends. That's many years ago, guys, 30 mm -hmm. plus years ago. I, I still have friends that are making that same amount of money that are, they look like raisins now because they've been baking in the sun. Like I knew there was a limit and I needed to get off that tennis court. Even though I love the job, I, I, I used what I learned from these people. And they kept saying, Frank, get into real estate, get in real estate. And these, mm -hmm. these people, these weren't gurus, by the way. These were not, you know, people who've written a bunch of books and, you know, selling a bunch of courses. These were people who walked the talk because they were living the lifestyle. They were Absolutely. Right. Right. In the late eighties, I can't remember the exact year, I think 87, I bought my first crack house. Uh, I invested in a piece of crap house in a bad neighborhood. <laughs> I put $7,000 into it and I flipped it. I'm sorry. I put more than seven into it. I flipped it and made $7,000. Okay. I bought it for 36. I put about five or six into it and I sold it for 50. And for the first four years of my career, five years of my career, actually, I didn't do a house worth more than a hundred grand, but I got really good at the craft of real estate. Yeah. After that, I graduated from a hundred thousand dollar house i didn't do anything in between mm -hmm. i jumped all the way to a two million dollar house and uh and i've done now 40 plus houses but that's what i've been doing now since 1992 so whatever that is 28 years of building houses on speculation on the ocean wow 
That's awesome. So I wanted to focus on the point, and I think it's so important, especially for, for younger people and even people that's trying to get into the real estate, is picking the brains of people that know what they're doing and had a lot of experience, right? And I'm sure you probably talked to guys that did commercial and you know were landlords and such. Um, but where did you find your real estate niche as being like an artist as real estate? Okay, so let, let, how old are you guys? 18. 18. Okay, so I think it's really, really cool that you're starting this young because, and you, I just, let's just spend a minute on the mindset because mm -hmm. you get the mind right and the money will follow. I, I'm telling you, if I were to go back at 18, and, and again, 18 was a very lonely, lonely time because I didn't want to do what everybody else did. I didn't want to get drunk all day or lay around on the beach, mm -hmm. go out with women all night, do drugs. Like, I don't, I might look like I'm a lot of fun, but I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do any of that stuff. And I haven't since I was in juvenile detention when I was at 16 or 15. Like, I, I quit, swore off all unhealthy vices. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to, when I got to Florida, I saw people I wanted to emulate. People I wanted to, if, I, if they were walking on the beach, like, I wanted to put my footprints in their footprints I wanted to I couldn't go to school so I couldn't learn that way but I, I could I could emulate and copy and absorb things that really fired my passion up mm -hmm. and so you know when you're I hope I hope a lot of young people watch your podcast I mean I hope everybody watches it but young people especially <laughs> because you have to you have to learn to take risks very young and when you're young it's it's probably wiser to take bigger risks because as you get older you you know you don't want to lose all your money yeah. And I decided that the field is very crowded. Real estate is very crowded. Right. Either on the brokerage side or the investment side. And if you were to see me in high school when I was kind of close to your guys' age, I had I had really long hair, I had white leather pants. I mean, I just looked at class, looked like an 80s rocker. And <laughs> I I just said, you know what, I'm not gonna compromise myself or co-op myself for anybody or anything. I ain't you. I'm going to, this is who I am. I mean, the yeah. way you, you know, the way I've been my whole life. Absolutely. Right. And I decided to, and this is what, this is another bit of advice. Start now creating your branding. If you're writing down personal branding is really the art of amplifying your essence. In other words, what sets you apart, mm -hmm. amplifying your essence to the point where your customers either current or future become subliminally intoxicated with you first, gotcha. then your product and service. Okay. All right. So branding, there's two points. There's personal branding, which is I just described. How do you set mm -hmm. yourself apart? And right. then if this was Coca-Cola or Pepsi, then there's product branding. That's completely different. Gotcha. I'm not talking about product branding. I'm talking about your own personal branding. So for me, I decided, you know what? I mean, one time I did cut my hair and try to fit in. I felt so out of place and the clothes I was wearing just weren't cutting it. I said, why, why not accentuate what, I, what I'm all about? And that's where, you know, USA Today came up with the uh, real estate rock czar and the, and the rock and roll rehabber and all this goofy stuff. The flamethrower. At the flame, but, but they would, and, that, and that's when they called me a real estate artist because, mm -hmm. you know, let's face it, if you're a performer, if you're a, a singer, or, or if you're in a band, or you, you're an artist. It's a different form of artistry. Well, I can't sing or you know play an instrument, but I can 
build now three-dimensional art mm -hmm. that people get to right. live in. So being that real estate artist sets me apart from everybody else in a very crowded field. Mo if, if, you, if you strip away that title, guys, what I am really is, 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 a, is a developer. But yeah. how boring is that? Like, I don't want to, I, I will correct you if you call me a developer or anybody. I mean, I remember I was on Oprah once and she called me a developer. I said, no, man, I'm not a developer. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a real estate artist. Yeah. And so spend time amplifying your essence. Again, what sets you apart so that your customers, current or future, become subliminally, meaning they don't know it yet, subliminally intoxicated with you first, then whatever it is you're selling. I mean, you could be selling phones or you could be selling water, but, but you got to set yourself apart. And, yeah. and that, that was something I latched onto really early. And, and Isaac, that's why I have been known as a, you know, a real estate artist yeah. for you know, 25 years. Right. Wow. That is awesome. Well, while we're on that um, real estate artist, where did you get your style from? <laughs> when, when did that pop off? I mean, if you guys go um, see Frank McKinney and some of the houses, he, he definitely dresses to impress. That's for sure. Well, I tell you what, oh, by, by the way, since, you know, while you all are watching the Frank McKinney on Instagram, Okay. The Frank McKinney, because you can see some pictures of, of course, the fashion. I'm not about <laughs> the fashion, but you can see pictures of the houses we built and the stuff we do in Haiti. I mean, I'm on there a lot now. I'm using it even more than Facebook. Uh, so the Frank McKinney. But I will tell you, Lincoln, that what I wore in high school, you know, I, 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 I like fashion, but I don't. Uh, there's too many people, and, and it is, I'm so honored to be on a young person's podcast because this is the time to not fit in this is the right. time I mean, there's some my daughter who's like two years three years older than you guys like i've taught her all along you, you know what a can of sardines looks like I yes. mean, it's, it's just like everybody's packed in there and you're all looking the same and you're all acting the same and mm -hmm. you're all wearing the same that's fine if you're in a corporate setting but if you're an entrepreneur and you look at some of the most successful entrepreneurs, there's, there's a little bit of eccentricity there, right? There, there, there's something that, that sets that super successful. Elon Musk is a good example. Steve yeah. Jobs is a good example. Very different individuals. So the, the, the style or the clothing, it, it's just, it's always been that way. Like I, I didn't yeah. make a conscious decision to, you know, change who I was you Lincoln and Isaac and every one of the viewers each day you're on the concert stage of life yeah. like I'm in this house alone I could come up here you know in my pajamas if I wanted to but you never know what's going to happen like I, I say that that you know clothes make the man I think yeah. the cool thing is you have each other you know you're both driven you're both entrepreneurial you right. both want to make a difference very young Absolutely. Uh, so you're not alone but you need to be comfortable getting rid of friends that are kind of just not getting rid of them. You can still have his friends, but not doing what they do, you know, yeah. go yeah. in the opposite direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Someone that pushes you and has the same mindset as you, I think is huge. I mean, that's yeah. accountability. You need that in right. a relationship. Yeah. I think what everyone says is show me your friends and I'll show you your future is, yeah. uh, is a big quote. That's huge. It's true. Yeah. And, and hanging out with people that push you and that maybe are a little bit beyond your, your, you know, the, the, that's what I did when I was your age. I asked if I could hang and a lot, if they said no, so what? I'll ask somebody else. Yeah. You, know, you get rejected. And, and I'm going to give you a, a visual that I, I did with my daughter when she was very young. And it's, it's really turned out to help her. We would travel a lot. We'd go through the, the airports. I take her everywhere. We go to Haiti. She'd go to Haiti with us. Every mm -hmm. time I was speaking engagement, she'd go with us. 
and it's just me, my wife, and my daughter. And you know the moving sidewalks in the airport? Uh-huh, yes, yes. Yep. When, since she was three years old, I taught her to go down the opposite direction of the moving sidewalk uh, against the people walking toward her. And she would cry and she would, you know, why? And I, you know, early I had to kind of bribe her with a candy bar or a toy. <laughs> okay. But the point was, that's life. That's how life will be. People wow. coming at you, people telling her, little girl, you're going to get hurt. Little mm -hmm. girls don't do that. Mm -hmm. You're going in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Where are your parents? The constant barrage that we get on a daily basis telling us that we're not good enough. Yeah. And, and guys, for 15 years, I would have her doing that until she got to Man. your age and she's just like, I, I get it, Dad. Like, you don't have to do that. I'm not doing it anymore. But that point of going against the grain, that's what an entrepreneur does. Even though she's not going to be an entrepreneur, she's working in um, broadcast journalism. She just graduated from Penn State. Well, congratulations. Awesome. For her. Yeah, thanks. For her. Yeah, she, she, and you know what it ended up being? I mean, she was president of the 46,000 student body. Wow. Good for her. The whole college of Penn State. And she did it differently. Like she, she, she dresses like uh, Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tip Tiffany's or Grace Kelly. Like she's an old soul. She doesn't, mm -hmm. and I don't care if she wanted to show, have a shirt that showed her belly button. I don't care. Like it's her life. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't. She's, she, my wife taught her dress for the job that you want, not for the job that you have. Mm -hmm. So every day she go to class, I'm not going to indict your hoodie there. Uh, Lincoln, but you know, like all the kids in college would wear hoodies. Yeah. My daughter dressed really nice as mm -hmm. if she was going to a job interview every single day of class for her. And it ended up getting her this, you know, not the way she dressed, but the way she approached her life because she went against the grain. She was yeah. president and then vice president the year before of that massive school. Good for her. That is awesome. And that's like a great way of showing that. Yeah. Like to go against, go against the grain, go your own way. I mean, yeah, and, and again, at 18, uh, you guys are still, you're, you're in college, you're going to college? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So one thing we never did growing up with her, and you already passed the stage, but um, if she brought home a C, that meant to me, C, I'm smart. I never gave her a hard time for grades. Mm -hmm. If she got a detention, I'd take her to Applebee's or something. Like, you know what? <laughs> Don't, don't, I never put any pressure on her. And what it taught her to do was put her own pressure on herself. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even know what she graduated college with in her GPA. And she'll have a, she's got a ton of job offers being, you know, president of a massive college like that. So when you're going to college, don't, don't, um, I mean, depending on your line of work, you know, if you're going to study business and entrepreneurship and those kind of things, which they, that wasn't around when I could have gone to college, they didn't mm -hmm. have entrepreneurship classes. Now they have all sorts of cool stuff like that. Yeah. Don't worry so much about the grades. What I tell people to go to school is get in, get involved in the extracurricular stuff. That yeah. is the stuff that employers, if you're looking to be employed, will look at. They don't just look at your GPA unless mm -hmm. you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or something. Wow. Well, that, that's great advice. Thank you. I am minoring in business in college, majoring in Christian ministries. Oh, my family's in ministries and I'm big into business. And my dad was in some real estate in his younger uh, days and uh, yada, yada, yada. But I, I really do want to get into real estate. Isaac and I do. So that is a huge tip. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to throw you out a question here. This in my mind and Isaac's mind and a lot of young viewers mind, 
when did you make your first million dollars? Because like in my mind, I think, okay, I made my first million dollars. I'm making it to the top. I'm there. Nothing's stopping me. Is that how you felt? Did you feel like you were on top of the world? What I set out to do was renovate, buy, I'm sorry, back up, buy, renovate, market like nobody else mm -hmm. and sell houses to first time home buyers worth under a hundred grand. That's all I was going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, and when people ask me, Frank, you know, how do I do 10 houses a year? In, in your case, how do I get to a million dollars? How do you do 10 houses in a year? You start with one. Make sure that you mm -hmm. make money on that very first one, because if you don't make money on the first one, you'll quit. You probably yeah. should quit Yeah. because you lost money. You lost your, <laughs> your, your family's money or your investor's money. You can't lose money on your first deal or your first few deals. You've got to make money on it. So mm -hmm. what matters in on the financial ledger sheet, sheet of life is your your net worth. It's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. And so there's folks in South Florida driving around in Bentleys, having mega houses, yeah. they, they're leveraged, meaning they, they, they borrowed every single dime, nothing's uh -huh. owned, it's all leased, which there's nothing wrong with leasing it. But there's there's people I know when, when the crash came you know, 10 years ago, and maybe we might have a little correction now with the COVID thing, yeah, uh, that the guy living under the bridge was worth more than the people more more than the guy living wow. the Bentley mm -hmm. because of the debt. Mm -hmm. So my dad, who was a banker, who taught me most obscene four letter word doesn't begin with F or S. It begins with D debt. And if mm -hmm. you're going to be a real estate investor, if you're over leveraged, you are going to implode. You're going to go bankrupt. So. He would teach, he taught me how to, to fill out a financial statement, a okay. balance sheet. I'm sorry, a balance sheet. Assets minus liabilities mm -hmm. equals net worth. And I have done that every single year at the end of every year for 30 years. And I remember clearly when my assets minus my liabilities equaled more than a million dollars. It was shortly after I got married in 1990, I think, 91 is when I realized, wow, yep, I, I, I called my wife over. I didn't do it on a regular basis. I'm too focused on what I'm doing. I, I always did it at the end of the year. Yeah. And after we were worth a million, um, and, and, and so by the way, in real estate, this is something you can take to the bank. You track, well, it doesn't matter what line of work, but in my line of work, at the end of every year, assets minus liabilities, see how much your net worth increases every year. Okay. Yeah. And, and in my case, over all those years now, 1990, so now 30 years, I've been keeping it. It's increased around 14 and a half percent a year. Okay. So what other asset can wow. you invest in besides yourself and real estate where you're going to get a 14 and a half percent return on average every yeah. year? Now, some years, I remember my net worth doubled. Some years it got cut in half, you know, in 2008, 9, 10, when the market crashed. Yep. I paid a heavy price, oh, yeah. but on average, we've, I, I, we, my wife and I have averaged 14 and a half percent a year. So yes, getting to your first million is important, but getting to a million, it's almost like you're at the plate and you're trying to swing for the fences, right? You're trying to get yeah. the home run. Yeah, right. You're going to get to that first million by hitting a whole bunch of singles, not the mm -hmm. home run. Mm -hmm. Now you, you packed up and went from Indiana to Florida. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be flying out to Florida unless Frank here gives me a big discount on one of his houses. Um, so I can be a first homeowner with a multi-million dollar mansion. <laughs> um, what's your promo code for that? 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, in Ohio, so you only did, did you only do real estate in Florida? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the market is, I'm sure it's way more packed up there, but is it reasonable somewhere in Ohio like this? Absolutely. Or would I have to pack up? Absolutely. So th this is, this is the newest real estate book. Burst this. This is okay. the one okay. that, you know, a lot of stuff I'm talking about. This is, by the way, this would take the place of you having to find somebody like me and sit down with them. This is everything I know, almost everything I know in, 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 in real estate. And, and it does start with getting the mind right. There's all the whole section is, is about getting the mind right. And burst. This is the name of the book. You can go to burst hyphen this.com burst dash this.com okay. chapters you can read and stuff. And what it talks about is, is it doesn't matter the geographic location. I could have done the first time home buyer stuff. I could have done that in Indiana for sure. Yeah. I just, I was getting in so much trouble. I needed to get out of oh, I got out from underneath that group of friends and the bad influences. I just needed to wipe the slate clean as I did. But in Ohio, Ohio is a very hot market right now. Ohio, what you want to do, what, what I suggest that you do, there's two segments of the real estate marketplace that are relatively recession proof because we could enter, well, we kind of are in a, in a recession right now. Whether or not right. we enter a depression is another. Yeah. We, prob we probably will for a little while. Yeah. But remember, you know, I'm going to jump around in a second. What we are experiencing now is a health crisis, not a real estate crisis. Mm -hmm. What we experienced in 2008, 9, 10, that you know, you were very young then, uh, but you've heard about it, was oh, a, was a real estate crisis. Very, very different. So that the real estate fallout from the health crisis is going to be real, but it's going to be really short-lived. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go on for three, four, five years before a turnaround. It, it may last a year or so. But back to that two segments of the real estate marketplace, first-time home buyers, ultra-wealthy. Anything in between gets nailed on a regular basis, and the book talks about it. I went back and I studied six different real estate cycles dating back to 1973. Okay. And there, there have been six major cycles dating back to the seventies and what brought them on? How long do they last? Like what, how long does the upturn go? When you reach the top, what do you look for? And then when it turns down, what, what do you look for at the bottom? You will be fine in Ohio. You, you, you will be absolutely fine doing first time homebuyer houses. You got two choices at, at that point. Now, if you, the other thing is if you have your site set on doing more expensive houses at some point, mm -hmm. Almost every municipality, every city has rich, expensive of neighborhoods. Yes. Right. Even, you know, farm town in Indiana has it. I guarantee mm -hmm. Ohio has it. Yeah. So, but start, admit you, what you have to do is make the decision early on. Do you want to buy and hold real estate or do you want to buy and sell it? Mm -hmm. And there's a myriad of ways to make money in real estate. My suggestion and this was actually a suggestion my dad had, even though he had no real estate experience and it was a really good advice. He said, my, my nickname was Mickey. He said, Mickey, you don't know if you, and I'm gonna use today's terminology instead of what he said. You don't know if you're gonna be a retailer, a wholesaler, a flipper, a bank short seller, a contractor, a broker, storage units, tax deeds, sheriff sales. I mean, there's so many ways to make money. You don't know, you have no idea. Right. But what I suggest you do is enter the cash accumulation stage. In other words, accumulate enough money by buying and selling 
-hmm. then you can decide which direction to go because you're you're at you're 20 years old you have no clue yeah 20 years old you have no clue and i said i thought that was good advice so so i would suggest if you're an early investor that you pool your resources and you go out to the and again, I really encourage you to read about how to find those neighborhoods, what I call fringe, verge. Okay. They're they're on the they're on the you know on this side of the neighborhood. There's some rough stuff happening. Like it could yeah. be, you know, the ghetto over yeah. here. Things are turning around. They're starting to gentrify. You want to go right at the beginning of your career, right close to that line, because you can buy stuff cheap still. Right. Got to be. You can't be afraid because mm -hmm. you know everybody else is telling you you're going to get robbed or mugged or killed. Yeah because you're close to that side but if you sense that that part of the of the neighborhood is turning around that's where you want to invest i love it and then trying to to learn as quickly as possible in in this geographic location and again i i say that you really don't need to go further than five miles away from your house uh in my whole career in south florida i've only gone maybe 10 miles away from where i've lived for 30 years to, wow. to invest so five to ten miles to find the opportunities in these marginal fringe neighborhoods mm -hmm. to buy first-time home buyer house buy the house that the county sanitation worker who's married to the teacher who chooses not to rent because guys and i'm not i'm not going to um indict the buy and hold folks it's just mm -hmm. not what i do yeah but to me buy and hold would be buy a piece of property and rent it out right mm -hmm. the american dream was not meant to be rented the american dream was meant to be owned and the, the county sanitation worker who's married to the teacher who has both of them have decent salaries their their jobs are fairly secure those are the kind of people i sold to for the first 10 years first five years of my career yeah yeah that's how you build the cash and then once you've got a little money because most most real estate invest investment experts are going to tell you to buy and hold like buy it hold it and never sell it and that's good advice you can make a lot of money doing that setting up a portfolio so that if you started that now at say age 20 by the time you're my age, you're set for life. I mean, yeah. you've got mega income. Right. Is just focused, because remember, let's say you went to your parents or your relatives or, or you know friends, focus on making money on that first deal. You've got to, because then you're gonna go to them, you're gonna pay them back. They may invest with you again, but if you lose money, they will never bar lend you any money again. Yeah. Right. That's great advice. And, 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 and while we're on that, guys, don't, don't, don't be like infatuated with no money down it, it to, in this business. I mean, it's doable. You can buy stuff with no money. I, I'm not gonna, you know, sit here and waste your time teaching you how to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have the whole purchase price, you, but, but having some money will help you attract other money. Okay. Right. And I want to go back to, to the mindset, right? Um, especially during this this health crisis, you know, you see a lot of the middle class struggling that had jobs and are now losing them, and people that were living living paycheck to paycheck, you know, they're they're getting screwed right now. But then you go and you look at some of the wealthy people and the rich people, they they already had their self set up to where if something like this happened, they were prepared for it. And how did you kind of prepare for this, you know, not knowing it was going to come, but you were already kind of set up for it? One of the things that I want you to focus on, if you get inside the numbers of, of those unemployed now, 30 million people, 33 million or something have a problem mm -hmm. for unemployment. 
Uh, these are the, the, the service workers. These mm -hmm. are the, you yeah. know, the people who work in the fast food restaurants, work in the hotels. Um, that's just, if that doesn't say to you at 18, I do not want to be one of those people. Exactly. I do not want to be, there's nothing wrong with that. I did it, but I don't want to be unemployable. Mm -hmm. So the next, the next pandemic that comes around or the next 9-11 or whatever it is that comes around, real estate crash, if you don't create your own reality in terms of creating your own destiny, you're going to be another number, you know? Mm -hmm. So like I, I'm affected by the pandemic, but I'm not out of work. I'm of here course. working today because I, yeah. I, you know, I, nobody fired me or mm -hmm. laid me off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I, I, if I were to turn the clock back, one thing I would, I would have done a little different. I'm such a big believer in myself and in my abilities and I bank on myself. I bet on myself. I put my money where my mouth is. You know, I've been married 30 years and my wife's a lot more conservative and she, like back in 2008, 9, 10, when we had that mega real estate crash, crash real estate yeah. crisis, I had everything invested. I didn't set anything aside. I, yeah. There was no rainy day. Yeah. Uh, you know, here today, gone later today. It wasn't gone tomorrow. Like I live in the moment. And so, you know, after 9, 10, because of the value of even oceanfront real estate came down. Um, I now don't have a problem with setting some things aside more for her. I think if I was single, I'd probably keep doing it, like investing in myself. But that's something that when you do make a little bit of money, let's say you, you, you buy, you know, I bet in, in, in your, what's the city you're in? Lima. Lima. Okay. So in Lima, you know, you can, a first time home buyer is going to spend 150 to 200 grand. I, I imagine that's probably your entry level house. Might be a little lower. I don't know. But if you do that and you sell it and you make, you know, like in my book, it talks about the formula, how mm -hmm. much you should buy it for, how much you should put into it, what you should expect to make. Um, you, you do want to set a little bit aside. You just, okay. I think it's really smart to do. Safety net. Yeah. Yep. It, it is because, you know, the other reason is if there is a crash again, which there will be, I, you know, I went back and studied yeah. all of them. They will always continue to happen. If you've right. got a little money set aside, Guess what's king? Cash. Absolutely. Yeah. You can buy stuff real cheap. Like when I, when that when the market imploded in eight, nine, and ten, bye bye. I bye. was I had a ton of debt, and there was guys that had cash that came and bought me out, took me out. But they didn't yeah, they didn't buy yeah. me out at retail number. It was a wholesale number. You mm -hmm. know, I had no choice because I owed a bunch of money to the bank. So, you know that that's something that you like in this in this current pandemic. When it comes to real estate, I mean, I don't want to get into the nuances, but people who let, let's 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 say you're you're well, you're in, in Lima, and you were quarantined, mm -hmm. and which you you had to quarantine, right? Your your state was doing the quarantine stuff. Yeah, right? correct. And you're stuck at home for two months, and you're stuck in a house that you freaking hate. You realize <laughs> I I don't want to. If this ever happens again, I don't want to be stuck in this house. Yeah. You're going to have buyers that are going to come out after, you know, the next month or two looking to buy a piece of property, better, yeah. a better house. Their interest rates are going to remain low for a real long time. Mm -hmm. Inventory levels are not going to rise for a while because people are, who don't want to move out of their house aren't going to sell it. I mean, I'm happy where I am right now. Yeah. All those bode really well for a, a rather quick recovery from what is a health crisis. Mm -hmm. 
what will happen in the short term is like between now and six months from now, a forbearance is something where you can't pay your mortgage and you go to your bank and the bank gives you a break. Like, okay, you, you don't have to pay us for three months, but at the end of three months, you got to be back at, at work and you got to pay us. Not everybody's going to be able to pay the banks later. Mm -hmm. and some of those houses that are in forbearance, which is kind of a limbo, are going to come on the market through foreclosure. So I think there is going to be, I won't use the word a flood of foreclosures, but there's going to be a lot more foreclosures six months from now. Yeah. Uh, that, so you guys want to use this time and everybody watching this, Absolutely. use this time to get your capital together to be ready. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't know your real estate market, so I can't advise you what to do there. But down here, I'm telling people for the first time in my entire real estate career, wait a little bit before you yep. buy. And I'm not a wait person. I don't try to wait any time, any market. I'm not timing a market. I'm just timing this pandemic to yeah. see how long it's going to take for those distressed properties to come to market. Right. Thank you for that. That, that totally makes sense. And that is a huge help. Um, we got about five or six minutes here. I'm sorry to rush this time. I mean, I'm loving soaking in every minute of it. Uh, I'm sure the viewers are going to love it too. This is such a huge help, Frank. Um, to finish, would you like to just give the viewers and us a little bit about the Caring House Project? Because ultimately, once you make it, you kind of want to give back to the community. What's yeah. happening there? That passage from the Gospel of Luke, to whom much is entrusted, much is required, which is a paraphrase. It's a little longer than that, but that's the gist of it. Uh, everybody listening and watching this you're trying to, assuming you're close to your guy's age, you're trying to, to determine what is, what is my professional highest calling? In other words, what did God put me on this earth to do to make money, to put food on the table, to take care of my family? That's what I've determined a, profession, a professional highest calling. And for you two, and for a lot of people watching, let's assume it's real estate. I mean, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to make your money in. That's my professional highest calling. What's your spiritual highest calling? Amen. Most, and, and because you, you, know, you both are, are closer to the word and ministry than most 18 year olds, what purpose did God put you on the earth to do to care for those less fortunate, to care for those who won't be as successful financially as you are? Mm -hmm. And when we started our Caring House Project Foundation over 20 years ago now, we were buying houses like the crack houses I yep. used to buy, renovating them and renting them to elderly homeless people for a dollar a month. What, because in the United States, if you want to, if you want assistance and you're homeless, you can find a way to get help. Most yeah. people, I've met over 10,000 homeless people, by the way, in the United States, most of those who are homeless are homeless by choice. And I don't, I don't fault them. They, they, my, my choice, in other words, they want to live off the grid. They're very, they're very lucid. They're not all talking to the light post and out, you know, out of their mind on, on drugs. But what about the countries that don't have the, the programs to help the homeless? And, and that's when we went over to Haiti um, 17 years ago. We built our first village in Haiti. Uh, now we have built, we're on our 28th self-sufficient village, uh, 12,400 children that were eating mud patties. So just picture if this was a, you know, a hamburger, it, yeah. it, it's, it's flavored with bouillon and lemon juice, you know, a little flavor, and you're eating dirt, children are eating dirt. We've now provided shelter and a self-sustaining existence to 12,400 kids. That's awesome. Because in the Bible, second only to love, in second place, only to the reference of love is the reference to money. And being a responsible steward for the blessings God has given you, given mm -hmm. you, and will give you, time, talent, and treasure, being a responsible steward is 
it, it, it's a requirement if you want to be successful. It is the ultimate success secret. I can sit here and teach you how to make a bunch of money in real estate, but if you don't have that spiritual highest calling, and for me, who had a 1.8 grade point average and didn't go to school, you know, kind of a linear simpleton, I'm providing housing to the world's most wealthy. Yeah. Shouldn't I be providing housing to the world's most desperately poor? That's homes? good. Yeah. It's simple. I mean, it's like, you know, like I talked at, at, at the church at Lima about wanting to be Robin Hood. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. I get to be Robin Hood now. I get yeah. to, I don't steal from the rich. I sell to them, but I give to the poor. I mean, Robin Hood was always, a, it was a huge influence when I was a kid, like yeah. a little kid. So, you know, when you, at, at 18, for you to even ask that question is, it's, it's really special. Both you guys, Isaac and Thank Lincoln. You. Lincoln. Thank you. Guys, I could have burnt out. I could have retired. I could have done a lot 20 years ago. It was because I was burnt out. I was depressed. I was, is this all there is? This success really kind of sucks because I'm unhappy. I'm depressed. I just, you know, this, this, I'm there. I'm anxious. And, mm -hmm. and then I realized, oh my goodness, I, I've lost all the soul in my heart. All, all, the, all the heart in my soul was yeah. gone. Yeah. And then when we started Caring House. God uh, just refreshed it. It, it refreshed it and it kicked it into another gear and it's been going for 20 Amen. years. That's awesome. Praise God. Yeah. That is and, so and, good to hear. You know, and don't be afraid to introduce God into this whole discussion when it comes to real estate success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's really, you know, you've, you've, you've heard me say, or probably see me promote that this is my final masterpiece. You know, more businessmen need to hear the word. And, and, and not just for one hour on Sunday. I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, they, they need to hear it and they need to, I mean, if you're, if you're in ministry, your family's in ministry, uh, Lincoln, there's a way to evangelize today. And, and the way to evangelize today is if, if Jesus was here and he had, he had this color hair and he had this shirt on, <laughs> he was wearing, you know, red shoes, how would he treat the, the folks he came in contact with, mm -hmm. not, not wearing a robe tied together with a robe right. and wearing sandals. And right. no, 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 no. That turns people off. Dogma turns people off. Become all things to all people. Amen. Yeah. Walk Jesus with skin today. How would he react to the pandemic? Thank you so much, Frank. Um, I, like I said, I hate to cut it short. Right. Um, I am very adamant. I would love to have a part two. Um, that would be awesome. I have enjoyed every second um, talking to you. This is, you are a huge inspiration to the both of us, and I'm definitely going to get that book. Yeah. So, you know, go, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it from us. You get it from us at burstdesk.com. I sign every one of them. I autograph it, and I send it out. Awesome. By the way, when you buy a book from us, this buys about 250 meals at one of our orphanages. Hey, thank you so much, Frank. I'm serious. It means a lot. I mean, thank you so much. All right. Have a great day, guys. God Take bless. Care. Thank you. All right. God bless. Bye. Again, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. If it's your cup of tea, subscribe. If not, please check out another episode. We've got some pretty cool uh, guest features coming on soon.